AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And post-Memorial Day and post-the legislative session that just wrapped up last week, we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as we're going to be talking about uh, some of the bills that passed in the state legislature that you may have missed, including a very important right-to-repair bill that could significantly uh, expand your ability to repair your own electronic devices. Plus, we'll be talking about an interview the Reformer was able to conduct with House Speaker Melissa Hortman, and we'll touch on some other news as well. Patrick, Thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Well, the big news today is that Governor Tim Walz has officially signed a bill that legalizes recreational marijuana in Minnesota. We are the first state in the five upper Midwest states, that would be Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Dakotas, to legalize recreational marijuana, which basically means possession and home growing, will now officially be decriminalized beginning on August 1st. Former Governor Jesse Ventura was present at the signing ceremony of the bill, which is something that Governor Tim Walls promised. So, Patrick, what were your thoughts overall from watching the ceremony and your overall thoughts of this long process of getting cannabis legalized in Minnesota? Yeah, I just think it's a it's an interesting um, course of events. If you go back uh, as recently as 2019, um, I was at the start to be at the time, and I uh, traveled out to Colorado um, to do some reporting on the legal marijuana out there. Um, and, uh, we published a story and I think the very next day or two days later, the state Senate then controlled by Republicans had a hearing. And, um, I mean, I was surprised they even got a hearing, uh, but, uh, it quickly, it was apparent that the chair of the committee, uh, had no interest in this issue. The Senate Majority Leader at the time had no interest in it, and they just were not going to uh, going to go anywhere. And then, um, you know, once the 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 Democrats did not take the Senate in 2020, and and the Republicans were using these marijuana party uh, candidates um, to uh, kind of um, perhaps take votes, uh, Democratic votes. Um, it just looked like it was a kind of a long shot, uh, and it was just not clear when it was ever going to happen. And um, but with that one seat majority in the Senate after the midterm election, um, they they moved quickly. A lot of that was because uh, I think that the the House uh, DFL they had been in the majority since 2018. They really worked on that legislation for several years and worked up a um, a solid um, bit of policy and public support. And so the, the infrastructure was there um, so that when they did get that Senate majority, they, they could pass it. And, and um, it's quite a, uh, quite a quick turn of events um, to go from thinking that uh, legalization, full legalization was, was really far off. And now all of a sudden there it is, August 1st, um, the landscape uh, completely changed. Um, and as you say, um, one of the, you know, the only state in the upper Midwest, you, you can certainly go to Michigan or Illinois. Um, but as our neighbors around us, uh, I think we're going to have a, a number of, uh, visitors. And, uh, I wonder if the Minnesota tourism folks ought to lean heavily into it. 
Yeah, that would be interesting to see if they lean uh, heavily into that, kind of similar to how I know around 4th of July time back in the day, uh, I know a lot of Wisconsin businesses advertised to Minnesotans that you can come buy your fireworks over across the border. So maybe the same thing could happen with legalized cannabis. But it's also interesting to think about that, that uh, you know, even less than 10 years ago, I think maybe a little more than 10 years ago when we passed at least medical marijuana, that was quite a lift when even we had a DFL governor and Mark Dayton, who I would say not necessarily was hostile towards cannabis cannabis, but maybe it was a little bit more lukewarm. So it is amazing as you were he talking. He was hostile. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a better he way. Was. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certainly uh, not, not the friendliest person on, on uh, legalizing uh, cannabis in Minnesota. So it is amazing to see how far we've kind of come in the past 10 years or so. I know your own um, Christopher Ingram is going to be having a little bit of a rundown on the bill and what we can expect, maybe the timing on that. Give us a little preview on what he's working on for tomorrow's reformer. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's a, it's a big piece of legislation. There's a lot of elements to it. And so he's going to uh, give our readers a chance to kind of familiarize themselves um, with the bill. There's, it creates a whole new bureaucracy, the Office of Cannabis Management. There's expungement provision in there so that we're going to uh, get rid of people's, uh, if they have a low-level marijuana offense, that'll be gone. Um, and then there's, you know, specifics about, uh, how much you can have on your person, how much you can have in your home, how many plants and that kind of thing. So, um, Chris has become kind of a resident expert and he'll, uh, share some of that knowledge with readers, uh, tomorrow morning. Well, make sure you check that out over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. Another big bill that passed the legislature, but uh, maybe isn't quite getting enough uh, or getting a lot of media attention is something that I've been following on and off for the past few years, uh, following the news here at the station, occasionally filling in hosting shows. And that has to do with the right to repair. This has always been an interesting bill to follow and the idea of having the right to repair. So repairing your electronic devices should be getting a lot easier and maybe even cheaper, too, here in the state. And perhaps lost among the shuffle as I was talking about, this is a very important bill that could have an impact on how you repair your devices. Now, if you're not familiar with what right to repair is, basically it's this. Typically when you need an electronic device repaired, you're pretty much out of luck unless you go directly to the manufacturer, since manufacturers typically don't provide parts for their products or any clues on how to repair those products yourself. But Minnesota's new bill requires manufacturers of electronic devices like phones, tablets, laptops, and household appliances to provide parts, tools, and instructions on how to fix equipment and devices independent and so independent repair shops and well even you yourself could potentially repair these types of devices and pieces of equipment so what exactly is changing in this law because uh, as i understand this is a rather significant and perhaps the the most expansive right to repair law in the entire country right now correct yeah that's um that's what experts are saying um that uh this uh requires us requires the manufacturers um, of those those electronic devices that you talked about to provide um, to sell parts um, to make tools available and instructions um, on how to fix equipment um, to consumers and also uh, independent repair shops um, this has been a, a a real problem for people um, because you break your phone and as you said, you very often have to just rely on the manufacturer and the incentives are all wrong there because manufacturers are interested in what? Not certainly not helping you fix their um fix the the device. 
they want you to buy a new one. Um, or if you're going to get your device fixed, they want they want to be the ones to fix it. Uh, so this seemed like a uh, pretty reasonable piece of legislation, um, and I think it's another example of how this uh, legislature, they the theme here is uh, moving power uh, away from employers and toward workers, and in this case, uh, from these big companies and toward uh, consumers and then the small, uh, the, the tinkerers among us um, who want to be able to fix our own devices. Yeah, so if you end up breaking your iPhone or having a problem with your tablet, you potentially could repair that on your own or bring it to a repair shop rather than trying to go directly to Apple or whoever that manufacturer could be. So in theory, that could make things a little bit easier. In fact, in practice, it should make things a lot easier when it comes to getting your devices repaired. But looking at the position of some of these manufacturers of these different products, what are some of the arguments that they are making about broadening access and sharing parts and information with independent repairs, because as I understand, they're raising some concerns about safety, security, and data privacy, correct? Yeah, um, they say they would weaken the privacy and security features of the products. Um, you know, I don't know um, if that's a real argument, but um, it's an easy argument for them to make because uh, there's no, there no way to test it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, if, even if it's bunk, um, you know, who can say? Because we haven't really had the ability um, to know. And so um, I have a strong suspicion that the sky will not fall if somebody can uh, fix their own iPhone. Um, I, you know, I think that if you think about automobiles um, or any other uh, any other uh, thing that we that we purchase, uh, and, and just imagine not being able to fix a car or bring it to a, a body shop and get a car fixed. Uh, I mean, you have to go to the manufacturer. I mean, that, I I just think that would be um, that sounds outrageous on its face, and because it is, and so this seems like a step forward. Are there any exemptions for certain industries in this bill that might not have to uh, share their repairing information or share their parts information? Were, were there any exemptions from this bill? The one that caught my eye is farm equipment. Um, and I think that uh, that was a carve-out. Um, and I think it's very interesting, and I wonder what the story is there. I think that shows you the, the influence of the uh, ag equipment lobby which apparently is even more powerful than than the farmer lobby because um, I think that's been um, an issue that they've that farmers uh, have uh, complained about for a long time. Um, so I'm that that certainly caught my eye, um, and then also video consoles, with some some specialized cybersecurity tools, um, and medical devices. Um, so. Um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. I mean, the good thing about a lot of this legislation that passed this session is that um, we'll get to see what the effect is, and then uh, the legislature can come back and and tinker with it.
speaking with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com. I want to move on and talk about an interview you guys were able to recently conduct with uh, Speaker of the House Melissa Hortman, kind of reflecting on the past session. We'll only briefly touch on this, but at least as I read through uh, some of her answers to the questions you had for her, uh, one of the things that really struck my mind was that she uh, really emphasized the importance of that investment in early childhood education in Minnesota because she thought that is something that uh, Minnesotans could really see pay dividends in the future. Uh, talk a little bit about what she was, what she uh, mentioned when she was talking about the importance of that early childhood education. Yeah, I was um, a little uh, taken aback by her answer. Um, we asked her, you know, what is her top, uh, what, what does she think she is, is the top achievement, and everything that this legislature did, they codified abortion rights, uh, they legalized marijuana, as we were saying, they, they put a bunch of new money into education. But, but she said, uh, for her personally, um, she was influenced earlier in her career uh, by a guy by the name of Arthur Rolnick, who uh, was at the time a uh, Minneapolis uh, Federal Reserve Bank economist who studied the, the uh effect of early education um, and and how cost-effective it is. And we're talking about education for our, our very youngest people, uh, pre-K, and um, and even younger. And um, for years, uh, that had been a goal of hers, and to really put serious resources into it. And so she thinks that that's going to have the biggest long-term impact uh, on Minnesota, and also will give some significant relief to middle-class families uh, because the the child care uh, shortage here, which drives up prices and um, almost probably drives down our birth rate. I encourage you to check out the interview you guys were able to conduct with her over at minnesotareformer.com. I also got a kick out of her answer when she was asked about this idea of uh, that Republicans are pushing that Minnesotans are leaving the state. Uh, she did a good job largely debunking that idea that uh, people are just fleeing Minnesota for other low-tax states. And that kind of leads me to uh, my final point-slash-question because you over at the Minnesota Reformer are running a fun essay contest titled Why I'm Not Leaving Minnesota. As You'll consider publishing your favorite, your favorites, and the winners will also get to have lunch with the team reformer. So, good little bonus as well. Tell us a little bit about this uh, about this contest you're running and what inspired you to do it. Because I like the idea of why I'm not leaving Minnesota, since we hear so often from people saying that, well, everyone's fleeing the state when that doesn't really necessarily seem to be the case. Yeah, um, th- there was a this insufferable rich man who wrote uh, a commentary that was on the Star Tribune op-ed page, was why I'm leaving Minnesota. As it turns out, of course, he had already left, really, um, <laughs> several years ago and had a house in Florida, but now he was really leaving. And, um, you know, we're not boosters here. Uh, I think we're honest about uh, Minnesota's um, successes and failings, but um, I think it's a pretty great place to live. And I say this as an outsider, as a, as a transplant. And I think there's a lot of interesting um, reasons to, to stay here. And we want to give people uh, a chance to voice those. So we hope everybody will, uh, everybody who wants to, will contribute to send them my way. Patrick at MinnesotaReformer.com. 
There you go, Patrick at MinnesotaReformer.com. Well, we have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer over at MinnesotaReformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for checking in today. Good to talk with you. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.